and ask you to do the work inside of us that you desire to do. I pray, Father, that your presence here today would be so evident that from the youngest to the oldest, there would not be a single soul that hasn't been touched when we leave here today. We've come here to worship you, Lord. We've come here to encounter you. We've come here to hear your word because we know when you send it forth, it doesn't return to you void, but it accomplishes what you've purposed it to do and that, that we as your people, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. So we ask, Lord, that you would take the revelation of your truth and that even now, Lord, that there would be a baptism of reverence in all of our hearts for what it is, the truth that we've got truth to go to, and in that truth that we would find hope and that we'd find encouragement. We bless your name because it's a name above all names, and it's the only name worth worshiping because it's the only name worthy of our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we finished Genesis. It only took us a decade, but we got through Genesis, and uh, not really positive where we're going to go next, but today I just had it impressed upon my heart for purposes only God knows sometimes to go to 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you want to go to 1 Peter with me. I love Peter primarily because I identify with Peter. He was a man of impulse. He was a man that often spoke before he thought. He was a man who did have good intentions but often relied too much on himself. He was a self-confident man. Remember he told Jesus, even though these other bums are going to deny you, you can count on me, I'm your man. That didn't work out too good. He was foul mouth. When he met Jesus, he told him, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Actually, he was actually a conduit for the devil to speak through where Jesus had to rebuke the devil speaking through Peter's mouth with good intentions impeding the plan of God. <clears throat> he took matters into his own hand. He cut off Malchus's ear. Jesus had to heal it. He got off his eyes off of Jesus and he sank. Jesus told him to let down the nets and he would pull in a haul of fish and he let down a net. We know he denied Jesus three times, and in the book of Acts, uh, or yeah, in the New Testament church age, unfortunately, in a moment of weakness, he almost divided the church at Galatia. He was an individual that got to see things that not everybody got to. He was part of the three men that were called up on the Mount of Transfiguration, saw Jesus Christ transform, opened his mouth, and God had to interrupt him and say, this is my beloved son, hear him. He was there at the healing of Jairus' daughter. But I look at this guy, and when you look at what it says here, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, it starts off with Peter. There's so much encapsulated in that word. He was a man of failure, but he was a man of faith. We know that he sunk out on the ocean but he was the only one that was willing to get out of the boat. And when Jesus said, 
John 6, 66, he watched all these people who were found for the wrong reasons depart from him. He said, are you going to go away also? And Peter said, Lord, where else will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. So I think Peter, to a degree, encapsulates when we think about who he is, our Christian experience. It has moments of failure, but it has moments of faith. And when I think about Peter's life, I think if I could sum up his life in one sentence, is that the faithfulness of God triumphs over the failures of men. Peter's life is a message of hope to me. He encourages me, as you study him out as an individual, to stay your course and to keep the faith. That sometimes it's in our personal failures where we learn our greatest life lessons. And I love, because we're going to see it here in this first chapter, the fact that the people of God have resurrected life in them. That's why when a righteous man falls seven times, he riseth up again. Why? Because he's got resurrection life in him. I look at an individual like this, and I think about the value he has to the kingdom of God. Because you know what? Sometimes we can be a Peter. And sometimes people need the lessons that we learn on the other side. Peter, in his denial of Christ, the beauty of Jesus restoring him as he walked along the beach, asked him if he loved him more than these, asked him if he loved him, told him to feed his lambs, feed his sheep, feed his sheep, and then eventually told him that you're going to die an honorable death of martyrdom for the gospel. And prior to that, we saw a man really struggling, but one thing that he didn't see that we get to see because we have the Bible is he didn't know that Acts 2 was coming, Pentecost. And once the Holy Spirit got a hold of this man, he was a powerhouse for the kingdom of God. He goes from a man failing the Lord, denying the Lord three times, to an individual who's full of courage, gave the first message at Pentecost, and 3,000 people were added to the church that day. They were saved that day because of this guy's boldness, because the Holy Spirit was a difference maker, the same way he is in your life and mine. That's why it's so vitally important for you. We can be saved and have the Holy Spirit in us, but that's only the part ministry of the Holy Spirit. We want to be effective for the kingdom, and that takes the Holy Spirit upon us that we see in Acts chapter 1. And Jesus is the case study of that truth. Because the Spirit was in him, Jesus breathed on them, and the Holy Spirit came into them, but, but he told them after that event the next thing, as they're waiting, you stay in Jerusalem, you wait for the promise on high. I don't want you going anywhere because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you'll be my witnesses. And to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And that word witnesses literally is where we get our word martyr from. That, that you're going to go out in great strength and boldness and you're going to lay down your life day after day and eventually lay down your life for the sake of the cross and the king who died on it. Peter was an individual who history tells us had a great influence on an indiv another individual who at one time he failed in the ministry too. And his name was John Mark. 
John Mark got, got fearful, got worried, got scared as he was out ministering with, with uh, Barnabas and Paul in the first missionary journey. And then when it was time to go out again, Barnabas wanted to take Mark. And, and Paul said, no way, we're not taking that kid. You can't count on him. He's not faithful. Whatever was said there, but it created this bam between Barnabas and Paul, this this division between them where they had this disagreement and even couldn't come to the point of agreeing or being unified on it, so they had to go their own way and start two missionary teams. And eventually, through the ministry of Barnabas, and history tells us that, that Mark's gospel is written by the influence of Peter's account where Peter's influence on his life, though at one time a failure, the one guy who didn't want to minister to him, at the end of Paul's life, he would say, you bring Mark with me, for he's profitable for the ministry. Why? Because there was a Peter in his life that could take the resume and experience a personal failure and a restoration and a forgiveness of Jesus Christ and a renewal of Jesus Christ that he doesn't quit on us and fuel him with the encouragement to get back in the race, to get back in the battle. That's why we're so thankful that by the Holy Spirit, when you take men like King David, who had his biggest blunder in life with a whole scandalous, adulterous affair with Bathsheba, but he would turn, he write Psalm 51, and probably almost everybody in this room here today has received some form of comfort from Psalm 51 because of how wonderful the heart of God is. When we're at our worst, or when we've made our life blunders, we watch with his life personal failure be turned to divine success. It says here, Peter, an apostle. Apostle means that one is sent forth by another. So what does that mean? That means when Jesus walked in his sovereignty, and he's God, so he's omniscient, that means he's all-knowing, and he knew all these things about Peter, and he picked Peter. So, he looks at me, and he looks at you, and he sees everything in us, successes, acts of faith, failures, and blunders, and he still chose us because he's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for sinners who will trust him to follow him. I want to take a look quickly at when he encountered Jesus according to the influence of his account in Mark's gospel. If you'll turn to Mark chapter 1, keep a finger in Peter. We're probably going to be flipping around a little bit depending on how far I get, but I want to look at this invitation here that Jesus gives to Peter. So Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now after John, as John the Baptist, was put in prison... Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. This is after his temptation. It said that he comes in the power of the Spirit. And this is what he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And look at the biblical Jesus. The biblical Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel. Repent is not that 
modern day palatable word that a lot of preachers are using because it might affect the numbers of their church. But you know what? If Jesus said it, we need to be saying it. And the word repent is the word metanoia in the Greek, and it means a change in the mind or the thought processes that changes the direction of a life. Repentance is one of my best friends. Because in the early 90s, that repentance entered my heart. I responded to the invitation Jesus gave me. That saved my soul, but it also maintained spiritual health because I find myself repenting quite a bit. (laughs) And believe the gospel. Now look at, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. And whether... He saw him with natural, limited eyes as the humanity of Christ, or whether he chose to see him with his deity, his divine eyes, he saw Simon. And Andrew, his brother, were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Come ye, follow me. It's the invitation. But the invitation that Jesus gives them is to come and follow me. It's not just acknowledge me, know about me, academically, but he says, I want you to come and follow me. That's one of the validities of saving faith, produces a living faith, and people are following Jesus. So look at this though. If we're gonna let, if we're gonna follow Jesus, you know what that means? That means I'm no longer in the driver's seat of life. That means that I've crucified personal lordship, and now there's someone new at the helm. And who should be sitting at the helm of our life is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who knows much better for our lives than we know. And who wants to use our lives for his divine purposes? But he says, come after me, I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and they followed him. Now that word followed him literally means to walk the same road, all right? They, they walked the same road. And I think for us as believers, obviously we're not transporting over to Jerusalem talking about those dirt streets or paved streets now or whatever they are, but we walk the same way that Jesus does. That we value the things that Jesus values and our perspective is a perspective that Jesus had and thus that establishes the priorities that Christ had. That was the invitation. And I believe it's the same invitation today because we're not signing up to be an apostle, we're signing up to be a disciple. And disciples have been called to deny themselves, to take up their cross, and to follow him. Not to expect him to follow us. So many times we just want to put Jesus on our resume and you know, have that little eternal security card tucked in our pocket, but then we go out there and we live our life our way because we're still learn- living under personal lordship. Jesus says it's not going to be that way, and it wasn't that way for Peter. Peter had three years with him. He was going to see special things. He was going to make his mistakes, but God was going to do such a great work, and he was going to make his life count. He was going to make his life matter. And today, as he sits in glory, I know he'd be speaking to us all. It was all worth it to put it all in. Put it all in for Christ. 
walk the same road. And when he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the, in the ship mending their nets, and straightway he called them. And they left their father Zebedee with the ship and, and the hired servants, and they went after him. We look at these lives, okay? Now, I can sum the four together, okay? Andrew, Peter, James, and John. We, we look at these lives, and these guys have businesses. These guys are part of the family business. And, and God doesn't always call you away from those things. Sometimes he calls you to be a light in those things. But sometimes there's a temporal cost in making an eternal difference. Sometimes you've got to be willing to forfeit the temporal to make an eternal difference. You can go back to Peter with me. So, it's Peter. We see how he was called. We know he's an apostle that, that had a special... Um, calling upon it. He, he was one sent. He was sent to represent Christ. He also had authority with that. And it says here of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So now we see the strangers here, or, or, or literally those who, who were aliens, pilgrims, or exiles, okay? I think sometimes Obviously, we live in a world that has an identity crisis. For crying out loud, people are referring to themselves as all kinds of different things. But I'm telling you what right now, that our identity is found in the Word of God. And when it comes down to the Bible, we are called, and Peter's reminding us that you and I are called to be pilgrims and exiles because we live in a world that is not our home. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And, and when we think about that, you know, often... It's very easy to, to lose our course sometimes. But we've got, Wu says that, that this word strangers means those who have settled down amongst a pagan population. And when we think about it, Christian, look, at, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should sense in your heart that that world in which we live, we fit less and less into the direction it's going, in the direction that we're going, there should be a greater expanse day after day. We, we know that things are getting darker in the world because that's what the Bible tells us. But we know for us that we've been called to go from faith to faith. So there should be a bigger difference. So if you feel like you don't fit in, good, because you're not supposed to. You might be the one on the outside. You might be the one treated as the stranger. The Bible tells us that we are strangers here. The Phillips translation of Hebrews chapter 11 said, speaking about Abraham and the heroes of faith, it says, all these whom we've mentioned maintaining their faith died without actually receiving God's promises, though they had seen them in the distance and held them to be true, they freely admitted that they lived on this earth as exiles and foreigners, pilgrims, just passing through, heading to the land that they belonged to. 
knowing that this is not their forever home. They freely admitted that they lived on this earth as exiles and foreigners, men who say that mean, of course, that their eyes are fixed upon their true homeland. How do we get our eyes fixed upon that kingdom? By continuing to see truth for what it is through the lens of the scripture. That's why it is of vital importance that you and I know the word of God and experience the author as we read the word of God. If they had meant the particular country that they had left behind, they would have had ample opportunity to return. We know an individual in the Bible, look it, there's an individual in the Bible who, who was serving alongside of Paul, but at the end of Paul's life, he says this, he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved, and, having loved this present age. So he went back to the world. And I've, I've seen and I've met so many people over the years, unfortunately, who have served the Lord, who have worshiped the Lord, who love the Lord. But then all of a sudden, something takes place in our life and there's this slow fade and they go back to the world. I hope for everybody in this room, myself included, that if we are tempted in any way to look back and go back, the first thing that we see is a blood-stained cross that we shed for you and me to keep us staying our course in the love of Jesus Christ. The fact is they long for a better country altogether, nothing less than a heavenly one. You know, I've had the opportunity to go on mission trips. Harley heads up our missions around here, does a great job putting things together, and, and I've had the opportunity to serve with teams in, in Kenya, and I've been to Haiti a couple times, went at, and spoke at a pastor's conference in Cuba, and uh, was part of the youth group, serving with a youth group down in Guatemala, and and I, I love it. You know, while I'm there, there's just joy. You know, we're there to serve. We're there to accomplish things for the kingdom of God. But every trip I have on, every trip I've been on has one thing in common. I'm always homesick. I'm always homesick. And I'm not homesick for my home. I'm not homesick for what I have. I'm homesick for who's in that home. And I'll tell you what, as Christians, I believe that we should be living our life with a degree of homesickness, and I believe if we're really having fellowship with Jesus Christ, and he is all that he's designed to be in our life, we long to be in heaven because of him. We long to be in heaven because of him first. Not just because we want to see pearly gates or streets of gold. That's going to be great, but, but it, it's not so much what's there that holds value, it's who's there. Jesus, the saints of old, the, the church, the people that, that are no longer here worshiping with us, the ones we've done their funeral services and their celebration of life services, you know, we long to be there because of who's there. And that's the way that the saints of the Bible chose to live. It says here that throughout Pontius or the strangers that are scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And that word scattered there literally means to throw seed. In the Greek, it means literally to throw seed. And that's what happened to these individuals. They were scattered out like, like seed was being cast out. And it all took place after the death of Stephen. 
Remember Stephen, the first martyr of the church, deacon, a man that was filled with the Holy Spirit, man? He gives this Old Testament survey to the, to, to the religious leaders, and he tells them that they're hard-necked and they need to repent. What do they do? They stone him. They said his face was like the face of an angel. And when he looked up into glory, he saw Jesus not even sitting anymore, but standing at the right hand of God, ready to receive him. And Stephen says, Lord, don't, don't hold this into their charge. The boy his Savior did on the cross for him, that's what he gave back to them. And the havoc that that reached in the church, and you think, Lord, what good could come out of this? But, but listen to what it says. It says, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, hauling men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. That's how the church grew. The church grew when persecution came. And instead of all of them being huddled together as a mass in one place, Acts 8 says that because of that persecution, it sent them out and they went out and they preached the word. And on the heels of that, Philip goes to Samaria and a revival breaks out. People come to Christ because this is what we got to get through our heads as American Christians is that God weighs things on eternal scales. We get locked into our temporal life. And what good could come out of this? Or God, why did that happen? We've all been there from time to time. But we need to realize that God's got something big going on. There might be things that we don't understand, but the whole message of the tapestry of God is that on his side, it's this, this beautiful masterpiece. And on our side, it's all these loose threads. And it's just this mess. And we don't get it. We don't need to get it. We need to trust the master. The early church chose to trust the master. And it was horrible that this godly man died the way he did. But we just read this in Genesis 50 last week, that God takes what's evil and he turns it to the good. Because God can do anything. And he's a good God and he's always looking to work good out of bad circumstances. It says in verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit. The election of God and the free will of man has become a divisive situation in the church over the years. <laughs> and I just, I choose not to engage in that battle because I believe the Bible teaches both in how those Meshed together, only God knows. We serve an infinite God and we are finite individuals. And I do know this. I do know that the secret things belong to the Lord. What matters is that you and I respond to the word of God and we look at this, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. I look at that and I think, man, you're sitting here today and, and you know, I don't know what you've gone through in your life or, 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 or who's abandoned you in your life or who's betrayed you in your life or whatever it might be. And you might feel rejected because that's just kind of a common theme amongst us as human beings with the different things we've gone through in our past resume. But I'm telling you that, that we're here because God chose us. That we love him because he first loved us. What does that mean? We, we serve a God that panned this whole world over, saw you, and pursued you. He initiated it. 
The only reason I'm saved today is because Jesus Christ initiated it. All I did was respond to it. The way he told Peter to come and follow me, you know, I just responded to that invitation. And if you're here today and you don't know where you stand with Christ, I'll guarantee you he is trying to bring you into a love relationship with him by giving you forgiveness. If you're willing to repent and to turn from your sins and to come into to favor and the forgiveness of God, that's what he's willing to do. So we're elect according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctification of the Spirit under the obedience and the sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ. <laughs> what does the Spirit of God do? I'll tell you what the Spirit of God does. He sets us more apart from the world and more apart unto God. The expanse grows, just like what we've been looking at. That's what sanctification is, being set apart from and being set apart to. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in our life, right? He takes us, the Bible tells us, from glory to glory. That means that his work in our lives is taking this right here and working within each one of us. So as Peter says this, he breaks out and prays, and this is what he says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he breaks out with this very fact that we have been blessed to be born again, uh, Peter's telling us here. I think about Peter, I think as he thinks about his own life, as he thinks about the guys that he served with, the other apostles, the people that he came in encounter with, that there was no self-reformation. There was spirit transformation that took place in these individuals' lives. If you will, go to John 3 with me. I know this is a familiar verse, but maybe for some people who haven't been here, it's not. But this is the verse that changed my life because when it was presented to me, I knew which side of the line I stood on. And that's really what, what God used as a great catalyst to bring me to Jesus. When you read John 3, you, it, this was a religious leader that was coming to Jesus, but you read John 3 and you see it, depending on what side of the line of Christ you stand on. Maybe you're just thinking or, or you're indifferent towards him, or maybe you, you just flat out honestly an unbeliever. Maybe you're raised in a Christian home and you just get forced to get dragged to this church week after week. But, but this, this verse is of the utmost since, uh, security, or of the utmost severity. And it's all based on what Jesus said to this religious leader. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews, and he came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. And, and Jesus answered him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So that must have rocked Nicodemus back on his heels right there. Because he had to process that. It was nothing. 
in relation to the statement he just made about Jesus, but Jesus reading his heart went right after his heart. He gave him this divine truth that he needed to hear. Because here's the bottom line, and this is where the danger's at. That's why this chapter is so important. There's a lot of people that are just church, but they're not saved. That means they almost do church like a ritual, like a weekly checkoff list, but they've got no relationship with Jesus. So the Bible goes up, maybe on Sundays after church, and there's no prayer life, there's no life in the Word, there's no personal worship. Fellowship is nothing more than maybe hunting football and swapping recipes or whatever it might be, but there's no iron sharpening iron because the individual isn't born again, even though they come to a Bible teaching church. So as he says this, Nicodemus said, how? How in the world does that happen? Can you enter a second time in your mother's womb? Now he's thinking natural, all right? He's a natural man. And that's one of the indicators that that you're not born again is your thinking's always natural. You don't have a spiritual way of seeing things. You don't view life through the lens of the scripture. Everything's always natural. And, And the big thing, like I said, the security or the severity, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That verse rocked me. That verse absolutely rocked me because the only people I knew that were born again, I mocked. I mocked them. I thought they were Jesus freaks. I avoided them. I didn't like them. Met a few on a job. They were the joke of our break table. And Nicodemus said, how? And Jesus answered, verily I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Obviously, I think the water is speaking about the natural birth that we have to have, but the Spirit is a spiritual birth that is of absolute necessity through faith for you and I to have the security of eternal life. It doesn't matter if your resume says, I've gone to church since I was a kid. It doesn't matter if your resume says, I was baptized. It doesn't matter if your resume says, I have tithed faithfully. All that stuff is great, but if you're not born again, it accomplishes nothing for the condition of your soul. So he says here, that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. And then he goes on and say, the wind blows where it listeth, and when you hear the sound thereof, but cannot tell from where it comes or where it goes, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So what does he do? He likens it unto the wind. You can't see where it comes from, but you can see the effects of the wind. You can see the effects of the wind. And it's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. You can't visually see him, but you can see his effects in the life of individuals who have given their lives truly to Jesus. Because I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit is the different make, difference maker in an individual's life. Because my personal experience, when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit stepped in and I knew he stepped in and I didn't have to doubt my salvation simply by this. Things were different on the inside. Far from perfect, still am, far from perfect. 
But now all of a sudden, things that I had no problem doing with that were sinful, now I got a problem with because I got the conviction of the Holy Spirit working in my life. And all of a sudden, these appetites. I can remember the guys on softball. We used to play softball every weekend, Sunday tournaments, weekend tournaments. And I tell the guys, hey, listen, I'm not going to be there Sunday morning. They're like, oh, you have to go to church. And I remember telling them, no, I want to go to church. Prior to that, that was the last place on earth I wanted to be, but I wanted to be with God's people. I wanted to be hearing God's word. I wanted to be growing in my relationship and giving Jesus Christ the worship that he was so worthy of getting. I didn't do that. That wasn't self-reformation. It wasn't like, okay, i got to make a list of about 10 things I need to improve on in my life. No, the Holy Spirit came in like a wrecking ball and started changing the things that needed to be changed on the inside of me. And Peter says, bless God for that. If you're here today and you're born again, you bless God for that. Because our own efforts fall short. Matter of fact, the Old Testament says they're like filthy rags. They account nothing. We have the righteousness of Christ because we've been blessed to be reborn. And you know who needs to hear that? Just like in this day, religious people. Everybody needs to hear it, but it's a shocker to religious people. Paul says this, we have to examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. He didn't write that to the unsaved masses. He wrote that to be proclaimed in the church. Do you know that the Holy Spirit's at work inside of you? Are you born again? Are you just natural? Do you read the Bible, don't understand? It's just words on paper. I get the historical things, but I can't see anything beyond the surface no revelations. Can you look at your life and say, I've got no power over sin. I'm a continual slave to sin in my life. I've got no eternal perspective. My priorities are all natural. Can you, I mean, if that's where you're at, it's good to acknowledge that, and it's good that you're here today because God wants that to be changed. He wants, like Peter tells us here, he wants you to be born again so you can have a living hope. Peter says we have a living hope. I've got a living hope. You've got a living hope. Every day in our life is Easter Sunday because Jesus rose again. But you can go back to Peter with me. So we're born again into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. One of the things that we've got to remember about the history of him. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that when Christ was raised again, that he revealed himself to Cephas. There was something one-on-one that the scripture does not share with us that, that Peter had with Jesus on the other side of the empty tomb. And that, and that resurrection experience that, that Peter had secured his heart forever. For Peter, I w- he would probably be saying something along these lines to us. I was at the funeral of Stephen and James, and oh, how we wept, but oh, how we rejoiced. Part of the inheritance that I'm writing to you about in heaven is being with them again. Because I too was at the death of Jesus, and I was at a tomb that was empty. And I met Jesus Christ on the other side of his crucifixion and his resurrection 
And one day in the future, church, for all the of yous who would read this, I will validate the validity that my Lord Jesus rose again when I give my life. I will shed my blood in martyrdom for the truth that I met Christ on the other side. So we have a living hope. And we need to operate inside of that living hope. As Paul writes to these pilgrims who are traveling through the gift to be reborn, that we've been given a living hope. And later on in this epistle, a couple chapters later, he would tell us that it's that very hope that we have to author, offer other people who have questions in this life. You and I are to study to show ourselves approved so that we can give them biblical answers. So that we can share God's truth and allow that word to go out and to do what it accomplished and what it was purposed to do and not return void. Because you never know, the individual that you work with, maybe the one that seems the hardest, that might be the individual who's been observing your hope, and when they get the bad diagnosis at the doctor, or they're going through something with their child, or all of a sudden the bank calls in something because financially they're going through some wreck and ruin, guess who they're going to come to? They're going to come to someone whose hope is beyond this life and who lives it by the countenance that we show. Peter says we have a living hope because there's an empty tomb. And it says to an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, and fadeth not away. And it's reserved in heaven for you. We've got to challenge ourselves sometimes to be honest with ourselves. What kingdom are we living for? Is our life investment, which speaks more than our finances, but it speaks about our being, it speaks about our time? Is it invested more in a kingdom that is temporal and going to perish? Or one that's uncorruptible, imperishable, and eternal. We will never live a life of regret prioritizing the eternal kingdom of God, but we will live a life of regret if we prioritize the temporal kingdom of men. Peter says in this church, you got something great ahead of you. You got a living hope and you've got an inheritance in heaven. We've got an inheritance in heaven. So it encourages us to see beyond the difficulties of this life and its warfare and its trials and its tribulations that. Paul would write to us that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. Hang in there. 
Remember, you're a pilgrim. You're a stranger in a land that is not ours. We don't want it. This land will be ours during the millennial reign when the king of kings is ruling from Jerusalem globally and we get to enjoy a time of prosperity and peace and righteousness by divine global rule. But until then, it's got the influence of the little G, the little God of this world. And what we've been called to do, like Peter, we've been called to honor Jesus to be fishers of men and to live for the glory of that king and the purposes of that kingdom. I believe, we didn't get too far today, but I believe what Peter was trying to tell the suffering persecuted church, hang in there, it's worth it. I mean, if he manifested himself here today, what do you think he'd tell you? He'd tell you, don't waste your life on what doesn't matter. Read your Bible because it'll tell you to live your life for what does. We bless you, Lord, that you give us examples like Peter who, who in turn to the power of the Holy Spirit can give exhortation to the church here at Old Pass Chapel in October of 2022 that we would remember the blessing of who we've been enabled by the Spirit to be. We thank you, Lord, that that it was your mercy that pursued us and you initiated this relationship that we have because you're a God that chooses and I'm so thankful that you're a God that chooses, Lord. Like Peter, we just want to proclaim, blessed are you. You allowed us to be born again, and you've given us a living hope. And that living hope we get to carry through this life and to know that our days are in your hands. Whether you come for the rapture of the church or whether we leave through our own personal appointment and we portal out of this life and into everlasting life, Lord. You alone know. But we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the gift that it is to be saved and to belong to you and know that we've been chosen. I ask God that if anybody's come here today, Lord, and maybe they come here, Lord, because they've just sensed that something's missing in their life, they just feel an emptiness, can't find contentment or satisfaction, and they've just come here today because they thought maybe church is the answer. Lord, we know church isn't the answer, but Jesus Christ is. And I pray, Father, that that you'd minister to that heart, and that heart would not leave these doors without experiencing a new birth, a spiritual birth, so that they can receive the gift of forgiveness and the gift of fellowship with you forever, Jesus. We bless you and we thank you that you are the Lord of lords and the King of kings. In Jesus' name, amen.